0: Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, the week before uh, Easter weekend, and as Chris said, we are jacked up about next weekend—six services over three days. And uh, here today, there's a bunch of tools uh, available for you inside your bulletin. Uh, there's a postcard uh, that went out to uh, like around thirty thousand people uh, in Charleston this past week, uh, so kind of uh, laying the cover work for you, the groundwork for you. Uh, but these are not for you inside your bulletin. You already know about it. Uh, This is a tool for you to give away to somebody. And then there's tickets. Uh, Again, it doesn't doesn't require a ticket uh, to come to any of our services. This is a a little tool for you to use this week to give away where you live, work, parent, and play. Uh, So make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, All the yard signs, by the way, are gone. Raise your hand or leave a comment online uh, if you've seen a yard sign this week. Anybody seen a yard sign? Okay, now if I see a yard sign in the back of your car, shame on you, okay? Okay, now get that thing out, Put a, it doesn't need to be in your house, it needs to be out and about, high traffic areas, uh, and then by the way, they're all gone, so you can't come by and pick up any more, take any more home today, uh, and then also we have a little book for you called At the Cross, and this is for, first of all, it's a gift to everybody who calls Coastal their home uh, as you finish out your uh, 40-day Easter fast. And I'm just so proud of you guys. You've done a great job. Uh, Some of you are like just jonesing for some caffeine, aren't you? Or sugar or whatever it was uh, that you fasted. Uh, So this is a little gift to uh, to you, but it's also meant for you to give away. And so we have a couple of tables in the the back of the auditorium, in the welcome center, just to pick up as many as you want and uh, to give away. Because the last chapter of this little book, At the Cross, uh, is called You at the Cross. And it's a great way to share uh, the good news of the gospel. So uh, can't wait to see everybody next weekend. Now, uh, we are in the uh, seventh and final week of this series we've been in uh, called To the Church, as we've been looking at the seven letters that Jesus gave to the Apostle John uh, to us in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3. So this is the seventh and final letter. And uh, today we're looking at Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea. And I hope what you'll discover, the same thing we've known, uh, is that... you. Even though these letters were written 2,000 years ago, man, they speak to us today. So follow along as I read Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, first of all, Jesus stands before the church in Laodicea and he is standing before you and I today. And in verse 14, he identifies himself as the one who is the amen. Now, you need to know a little bit, a little bit of something about the word, uh, amen. Okay. Now, regardless of what a certain congressman recently, uh, prayed, uh, from Missouri prayed, the word amen has nothing to do with gender. Okay, nothing. It's not a man or a woman. It's not a gender word. It's neutral. In in the Hebrew originally, and then in the Greek language of the New Testament, the word amen literally means, so let it be. Uh, Truth has been spoken. Truth is established. It does not change. And so here's Jesus. He's saying, listen, he is calling himself the truth that does not change, and that's why in many churches today, when somebody says something, you know, a pastor or preacher says something that is eternally true, uh, someone shouts, amen, it's true. So can I get an amen this morning? How about that, let's, uh, amen, there we go. You can leave a comment online, shout an amen uh, online this morning. Now, so then Jesus identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. And the word witness here means one who witnesses to the point of death of being a martyr. In other words, it's one thing to, to, to witness, but it's another thing to witness at the price of your life. And so Jesus is qualified to stand before you and me, to stand before this, uh, this church at Laodicea and knock because he has paid the tremendous price of his, of his death on, on the cross. And then he says something very interesting in verse 14. He calls himself the beginning of God's creation. Now, that does not mean that uh, Jesus was the first thing that God created. In fact, the Bible teaches that he has always existed, that Jesus has always existed with God. Jesus, Jesus was not some sort of you know, last-minute idea of God when he couldn't think of any other way to save the world and say, you know oh, I got it, I, I'll send my one and only son, Jesus. No, the Bible says that Jesus was there assisting God in the creation of the world at the very beginning of time. And so he stands at the door of the church, at the door of your heart and mine, at the door of the Laodicean church, and at the door of this church today as the one who is the amen, the one who is the faithful witness, the one who was with God at the very beginning. Now, you might notice that on the uh, the, uh, title of the uh, sermon today on your outline, it says the regurgitated church, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you need to know that this is the only church in all seven of all of these letters that Jesus really had nothing good to say whatsoever about. Now, he does, however, extend his mercy to this church. And I hope you'll see that today. And I hope you'll hear that loud and clear in your own life today. But the very first thing that we're going to see here, as we've seen in, in most of these letters, is their condition their condition. Now, you don't have to read very far to understand that the condition of this church was not very good at all, okay? Number one, he starts off by describing their condition as bland, bland. We all know what blandness is, right? Verse 15, I know all the things you do, listen, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. Nobody likes bland food, do they? You go out to eat, you know. You, maybe you're having a meal with friends and you're like, "Uh, nobody puts salt on this. You know, It's bland. Nobody likes bland food. And most of us really don't like bland beverages either. I mean, whoever said, give me a cup of good old room temperature coffee? Right, nobody. We either like hot coffee or hot tea or we like something very cold, like a cold Coke or a cold, your favorite beverage, okay? Uh, cold sweet tea, Right? And so right off the bat, Jesus addresses the problem of this church, and it's very possible that it could be a problem that that you have in your own life today. He says, it's your lukewarmness. It's your blandness. In other words, it's your straddling the fence that I can't stand. It would be better that you would be one way or the other because you're making yourself and everybody else around you miserable. Now, if I had time, we could go back into the Old Testament, and I could show you over and over and over again where God made it very clear to his people that he wanted them to be on one side of the fence or the other. In fact, one uh, really powerful example of that is where uh, Joshua uh, is standing before the children of Israel. And this is kind of the, the end of Joshua's life. And you know, leadership had been transferred from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua's now uh, is getting to go on to, to be with God. And he kind of has this last challenge. He stands before them and he says this in Joshua 24. He says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in the land whose land you now live? In other words, make a choice. You can go back and serve the gods back in Egypt. You can serve the gods in this land here and now, but stand up. Be counted and make a choice. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, here we are in Revelation chapter 3, and Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's saying, Church, take a stand. Come out and say who you're going to serve, who you're going to follow, and then you ready for this? Do it. He says, I would rather have you frozen and dead or extremely hot and boiling. Either would be better than what you are right now. You're lukewarm. You're bland. You're trying to straddle the fence. Take a stand. Number two, then Jesus describes them as belched. No joke, belched. Look at verse 16. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now the Greek word there for spit is the word for regurgitate, to vomit. Some translations use that word. Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. Now I got a really clear picture of this when I first became a believer. Uh, When I very first became a Christian, uh, somebody gave me the little book called Disciple. Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz, great evangelist. And it's a great little book. And Ortiz was, in the book, he's talking about how down in Argentina, they raised some of the best uh, beef cattle in all the world. And he says, you know, you'll, you slaughter one of those cows and, man, you get this beautifully just delicious cut of meat and you charcoal that thing. You know, it's about medium rare and, uh, man, it's just so succulent and tender. You could cut it with a fork. And, uh, you know, of course, you put it in your mouth without any sauce whatsoever because the flavor it's just so rich and you chew it up slowly and you savor the taste and you, you swallow it. By the way, I apologize, apologies to everyone who fasted meat during the last 40 days. But anyway... <laughs> Um, you know, you swallow it, it's going down, and, and the gastric juices in your stomach, they're just rubbing their hands going, woo-hoo, oh boy, look what's coming, and they open the door to the stomach, and they're like, welcome, we have been waiting for you. We're, we're wanting to absorb you into Chris Rollins, and the steak says, oh no, you don't. You know, it's bad enough that you kill me. It's bad enough that you hung me up in a freezer somewhere and that you put me over a fire and then you chewed me to smithereens. You are not going to absorb me into crisp. I will maintain my identity as a steak. No. And the gastric juices say yes. And the steak says no. And the juices say yes. And that's when indigestion sets in, Right. And then Ortiz says something very, very interesting. I'll never forget it. He says, suppose the stake wins the battle. In order to to maintain its identity as stake, it is regurgitated back out. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying to the church at Laodicea, and what he's saying to you and me today is this unless you will be completely absorbed into me, into Jesus, you will be vomited out. He is saying, I will not keep in me that which will not be absorbed into me, that which will not be transformed by me. The condition of this church goes from bad to worse. Verse 17, listen to this. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Let's break, break that one down. Okay, not only is their condition bland and belched, number three, it's bleak. It's bleak. And he uses two words here for that, wretched and miserable. Now, do you know what those words literally mean? They literally mean unhappy and absolutely pitiful. It's the kind of uh, attitude it's the kind of, of spirit that, that no matter who walks up to you, no matter what they say to you, you're just wretched and pitiful. You're just plain miserable. And so Jesus is saying, church, you're that way. This is the way you're acting. You know, and it, and it comes from trying to stay hot, just hot enough not to be cold and just cold enough not to be hot. They just wanted to ride the fence. They wanted to, you know, live for themselves and live for the world and every now and, then, every now and then kind of throw God a bone. And as a result, Jesus says, listen, that's why you're miserable. You're trying to play both sides of the fence. You know, you're wretched and, 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 and miserable. And then number four, he says, they're, they're broke. They're broke spiritually speaking, he's saying, listen, you're bankrupt. Now, you need to understand something about the the city of Laodicea and these people. They were actually loaded, okay? Materially speaking, uh, they did not have money problems in this city. There was no other side of the track in Laodicea. But the tragedy is, and you know what? I think Jesus could be saying the same thing to the church here in America. The tragedy is you have come to put your hope and your trust in the things of this world, Listen, in and of itself, money is just a tool. That's all it is. But so many people today have put their their trust and their hope in their stuff, in their things. And Jesus is standing before this church, and I think he could be saying the same thing to us today in 2021, you're poor. And he's not talking about material poverty here. He's saying, you might have the latest model of chariot out in the church parking lot but spiritually. You are bankrupt. There's no knowledge of God's word, no moving of his spirit, no opening to the, to the leading of the spirit. You're broke. And then he says something even more interesting. He says they're blind. Number five, they're blind. Now, what's interesting about that is that history tells us, context tells us, that Laodicea actually had a great medical center there, um, And it was in that medical center uh, in Laodicea that an ointment uh, for eyes was developed, for the eye. And it became famous all over the world for healing people who had what we now know today to be glaucoma, okay? So the, the city was famous not just for the discovery of this ointment, but for manufacturing it. And as a result, the people of Laodicea in general, they were known for having great eyesight. And yet Jesus says to this church, you know, you might be able to see some physical things right in front of you, but spiritually speaking, you're blind. You're blind. Number six, he says they were bare. Or if I'm in keeping with the B words, I could have said but naked, okay? They were bare. Um, now, what's ironic about Jesus calling them naked was, again, the city of Laodicea was also known for this beautiful black wool that came off of its sheep in its valley and uh, some of the richest wool in all of the world. And that wool was exported uh, and brought a lot of wealth to their city. And so they were able to buy and make some of the finest clothing known in the entire world at that time. They were actually known as a real fashion center, okay? And in spite of all that, Jesus looks at this church in Laodicea and he says, and you know what again? This is so applicable to today, right? He's saying, you know, you might be wearing the latest and greatest fashions and styles, but spiritually speaking, you're naked. And the real tragedy about all this, and he starts off, you know, verse 17 was saying, you don't even realize it. You don't realize any of this. What about you today? I mean, how would Jesus assess your condition? Blind? Naked? Bare? Belched? But thank God. I mean, thank our loving Heavenly Father that Jesus also had some wise counsel for this church. And I think we need to hear it today loud and clear. And that's what I want you to see, his counsel. Look at verse 18. He says, so I advise you. The New International Version says, I counsel you. Again, can you see The mercy here, the grace mixed in with the judgment. I mean, in other words, there is a remedy for their condition, there is a fix to the problem. So, what does he advise them to do? So, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then, then you'll be rich. What was he saying? I want you to look with me in Isaiah 55. This is so beautiful. This is God's invitation to a spiritually bankrupt people, uh, the people of Israel, whose spiritual life is, was in much the same state of disrepair as this church. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Listen to this Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why? Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. You see, Jesus is saying the exact same thing here to the church in Laodicea. And he is standing before them, almost like, picture he's kind of there competing with all the other people in this city who are selling them all of the junk, all of the stuff that ultimately is never gonna bring an ounce of satisfaction to their soul. And he is saying, listen, come to me, come to me. I want you to have real riches. I want you to be truly wealthy. I don't want you to have the, the kind of gold that's just gonna fade and tarnish. I want you to have the kind of economic treasure in your life, the real treasure in your life, that's not gonna change with the economic conditions of this world. Stop. Wasting your time. Stop wasting your life chasing after things and stuff that ultimately are never, ever going to satisfy your soul. Come to me. That's what he was saying. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, you know, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Come to me. Stop chasing after the stuff of this world. That is never going to bring an ounce of satisfaction to your soul. And then he says, also buy white garments from me so that you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. Now, what's he talking about there? Because again, remember, these were the people who were known for their fashion. Laodicea was known for the best shopping district with the latest fashion and styles. And Jesus says, what I want you to do is to cover the dirt and the filth and the ugliness and shame that sin has caused in your life. And you can't cover that with clothes bought in the city square. Your focus is on the wrong things. You can only cover it with the the garments of white that I can give you. He's trying to get them to see, he's trying to get us to see it's far more important to cover the sin of your soul than it is the nakedness of your body. And only He can do that. You know, through His righteousness that we can put on. And notice what he says, an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Man, he's just hitting these people right where they live. I mean, remember, he was talking to some of the very same people in that church who probably worked at the uh, eye ointment plant, you know, the Laodicea Storm Eye Institute. And I bet they were shaking their heads going, Jesus, what do you mean get ointment to put on our eyes so we can see? Don't you know, Jesus, that Laodicea is the international headquarters for eye treatment? And Jesus was saying, guys, it's not your physical eye that I want you to put ointment on. I want to come into your life and open you up to real sight so that you can truly see what life is all about. And then he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. You know, it's kind of funny and and maybe kind of sad that when we think about Discipline today. It is always in a negative light. I mean, I wish I had the time today to really unpack this because the Bible really says the exact same thing again in Hebrews 12:6, where it says, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I Man, I thank God for the parents we have here today uh, who still discipline their kids. You know, now, I believe that discipline has parameters, and we need to discipline with love and instruction and teaching, but ultimately, correction and discipline are done out of love for the benefit of the person receiving it. And Jesus loves these people, and He loves you. That's why He's speaking these words of, of truth. He corrects and disciplines those he loves. And he says, be diligent and turn from your indifference. The word diligent there, some translations use the word zealous, is literally from a word that means boiling. And again, remember, you know, this church in Laodicea had cooled off. And Jesus wants them to get fired up again. And so he says, be diligent, be zealous, turn from your indifference. Some translations use another word that that Jesus has used over and over and over again in all of these letters to these churches. It's the word repent. It just simply means turn around. Turn from the direction you're headed and turn back to God. That's his counsel, by the way. Get fired up, church, and repent. Repent. Turn away from the things of this world and turn back to God, turn back to Jesus. And then he closes with a very, very clear call. And it's a call that some of you have heard before. You're probably familiar with this passage of all the uh, passages here in these letters to the churches in, uh, in Revelation here. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, it's interesting, in the first century, uh, the Jewish people, kind of similarly to us, had three meals a day, but they were different from our meals. Breakfast was uh, very, very early in the morning, often consisted of nothing more than maybe some water and a hard roll. Maybe some dried fish, and then you were off to work early in the morning by five a.m. Breakfast was not the most important meal of the day. It's pretty insignificant for them. And lunch was kind of similar to that. Uh, something simple, something you could probably put in a sack, maybe a roll, maybe some fish or some nuts or fruit. And it was scarfed down very quickly so you could get back to work. The evening meal, however, it was the most important meal of the day. And to the Hebrew. It was this time of very elaborate foods that were fixed and, and it was a gathering time for entire extended families to gather. The, the closest thing that we could maybe relate to would be like what we think of as like maybe a Thanksgiving meal or maybe back in the day, a generation ago, when families would gather Sunday afternoon after church or something, but they would get together for sometimes three to five hours and they, they talked and they laughed and they cried and they prayed and they shared the experiences of the day, you know, In our day, there would be no TVs or cell phones. No, the evening meal was a time to unplug from your daily activity and then to plug into each other. And guess what word Jesus uses? He uses the word there for the evening meal. In other words, he says, listen, I will come in and sit down with you and we'll do life together. We'll share life and there'll be this exchange, this real breaking of bread and fellowship. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, can you see the picture of this in your mind? Jesus is standing at the door of moral failures like you and me. He's standing at the door of people who are living this lukewarm existence, and he is knocking. He's knocking, and he's saying, you know who this is. In your heart, you know who it is. You know what I want to do. I want to forgive your sin, and I'm the only one who can. And you know it needs to be done. I want to be the center of your life. I'm willing to come in and become your best friend. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. But I'm not going to break the door down. So I'm going to stand here lovingly. I'm going to knock, and I'm going to wait for you to open it. That, by, way, by, by the way, is the clear call here. Open the door. And let Jesus fully into your life. That's what he's saying. And so many of you today are standing inside the door of your, of your heart, standing inside the door of the house, and it's as though you got your hand on the knob, and you're thinking the offer over. You know in your heart you need forgiveness. Certainly you're not against having a friend, but you're nervous. You're anxious about fully giving your life over to the control of Jesus. You're not sure what all that's going to mean. I mean, what will the the leadership of Jesus and the control of Jesus in my life, what will that mean for how I do business, for how I lead my family, for how I handle my money? How is Christ's control going to affect all of my relationships? And you're there with your hand on the door, and it makes you very, very nervous. And so with all these unknowns bouncing around in your head and your hand is on the knob, you hesitate. And so the knocking continues. You feel the vibration. You're here. You hear it. You feel it. You see, sooner or later, you got a couple of choices. You're either gonna to have to leave the room so you're not bothered by the knocking anymore and a lot of people today do that. They chase after other things just to, just to if, 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 if they can, just to do away with hearing that in their heart or you're gonna to have to face the unknown. You're going to have to trust Jesus with the uncertainty of it all and take the risk and open the door and receive Jesus into your life as your Savior, as your Lord, as your friend. So here is the most important question of the day. Have you done that? Have you let him in? Have you really? Or do you just catch his words through the window every once in a while? Or maybe when you're in trouble, you reach out to hear what he has to say every now and then. Jesus said, I want to come in. I want to be with you. I want to do life with you. I want to give you wholeness and purpose and meaning and joy and victory and forgiveness. I want to come in. Have you let him in? He is standing at the door of your life, and he is knocking. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I thank you for, I thank you for these letters that you wrote to these churches so many years ago, and there is no doubt, God, that they speak to us today so clearly. Listen, it's possible you're here today and, You are a believer and um, you're not hot, you're not cold. You've just been living a lukewarm existence, just straddling the fence. Listen, that's not gonna work. You know it. (laughs) You're just making yourself miserable. Listen, Jesus is standing before you and he's saying, listen, that's, that's not gonna cut it, just go all in. It's the way of life. It's the the best way. It's my way. You know, give yourself fully over to him today. Take a stand. You know, repent and get fired up again. And those of you who are here today, listen, you know you need forgiveness. You know you, you know, you, you break your own conscience, let alone, I mean, you know you're a sinner in need of a savior. Listen, turn to him today. He is... You know, that's what you've been feeling. That's what you've been sensing. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he is knocking and he wants to come in. He's not. This is not religion. This is not some long list of do's and don'ts. Man, he wants to do life with you. He wants to be your savior, your friend. He wants to direct and lead your life. Open the door, trust him, turn your life over to him pray that in your heart right now. God, I believe, and today I I no longer just have my hand on the door. I no longer try to run from you. I open the door, and I ask Jesus today to be my Savior, to be my friend, to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to follow Him. I want to do life with Him. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.